This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This episode features Cameron Bossert, or Cam Darwin, depending on the context in which you meet him. If you meet him as a producer, as a writer, as a director of theater or film, Cameron Bossert. If you hear his music, Cam Darwin. We talk about names in this interview, in this conversation that we had here. Um, I also have different names for different projects. Names are important. Very important name for I want you to remember while listening to this conversation is Third Wing. Third Wing is an innovative new theatrical slash on-camera streaming program that he's launching right now and has a Kickstarter going for that. There are links to that in the show notes of this episode, so please check that out and support Third Wing, making that a reality. Also, if you live in New York and are listening to this episode the day that it comes out, Friday, September 27th, check out Cam Darwin tonight at the Way Station in Brooklyn, New York at 8 o'clock. The Way Station is a Doctor Who-themed venue, bar, extraordinaire. I've played there a couple times. It's a great, great venue. Check him out tonight at 8 o'clock, The Way Station. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. I met Cam at Shelter Theater Company, where I've met a lot of people who've been on this show and will be on upcoming episodes of this show. And I've always liked Cam's writing. I've also enjoyed his songwriting. So to get this conversation started, we are going to share one of Cam's songs that he did in the studio with me at the Rack Shack, an all-inclusive lingerie boutique based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So without further ado, here is Cam Darwin Bossert. Let's have a conversation. But a song first. Put you in a cabin to rain Back to another star You and I lead different lives But somehow I wanted to say In our tough and broken hearts What do you do at the night? How you feel at the night? Who you screw at the night? What do you eat in the night? Take my drugstore sleeping pills Trade you one more secret in Once in a while we can try to explain it But it was in the cards, talking crazy For the dumb you say you're afraid of the way that you raise him But I'm afraid of the stars, conversation what do you do in the night? How you feel in the night? Who you screw in the night? What do you eat in the night? Quarter way around the world. Who's my favorite golden girl? Once in 
afraid of the start There's conversations in the dark Taking a walk in the daylight To see how you're lying about your scars It's too late, but not too far You're losing yourself and your love and your hate And I'm getting kicked out of too many bars Conversations in the dark And that was called Conversations in the Dark. Nice. So the embezzlement started. Uh, I mean, yeah, there we go. So that's that's how it starts right there. Uh, we're rolling. We're live. Nice. Cam. Uh, what's your last name? Because I noticed oh. I've seen it uh, a few different ways, and I was like. Sometimes it's my last name, sometimes it's my middle name. So my name's Cameron Darwin Bossert. So, okay. Yeah. So I use Darwin for music stuff mm -hmm. because it's just, well, I was playing on the subway um, and, you know, the sign that you have for people to like follow you on Instagram, Darwin is just easier to remember. I remember the week that I put that up that I decided to go by my middle name people would sort of walk past and like say the name out loud. They'd like look at it and like, oh, Cam Darwin. Right. It's like, oh, I guess branding achieved. Yeah. Um, any relation? I don't think so. Have you done your 23 and Me? I have not. The last person who looked into it was a cousin of mine in England because uh, my mom was born in the north of England in the county that he's from. Uh, so... So it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, exactly. I should just say totally. <laughs> right. It's possible enough. So, yeah. Um, you know, at the end of any concert or something, I'll be like, my name is Cam. Uh, and then Darwin, like the theory of evolution and, um, you know, for mnemonic <laughs> purposes. Yeah. And people people get more confused by Cam. They're like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "Like Cam Newton? I don't know." And they're like, "Then they're like, I have no idea. I'm I, I, I'm not a sports person, but I thought maybe you would be. <laughs> so I don't know. People used to call me Cam Ron in high school or yeah. Killer Cam yeah. sometimes. <laughs> so like, that doesn't help either if I'm trying to get people to remember. But yeah, a lot of people have a hard time with Alec. Yeah. Um, a lot of people automatically go to Alex. Exactly. Yeah. And then my, so speaking of like what you call yourself, um, and you know this, like <laughs> um, as actors, the whole slating thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and realizing it's taken me this long to finally realize something. People have a hard, hard time with my name also because it's followed by Stevens. So it's Alex Stevens yeah. III. Um, so my new slate thing, I think I've done it once, like last week, uh, so I'm going to start saying I'm Alec the third, which is a little, maybe oh. a little pretentious, but then they'll get my first name correct. And it's a little bit more formal. I don't know. It might Alec be a, the third. That sounds, yeah. yeah. Cause now it's like Alex Stevens, the third, when I do the full name and people are like, Alex. And I'm like, no, Alec. Alan, like no Alec, like Alec Baldwin. You know the name of yeah. Exactly. I was gonna ask, do you do Alec Baldwin? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you do Alec Guinness? <laughs> yeah. And I was talking to my dad about that, like my because I'm the third, you know. Um, right. I, I was just I just flew back last night, um, and my dad used to always do Guinness, but then at a certain point, um, 
less people living now who he's talking to know Guinness. Like they know Obi Wan, but they don't right. know the actor's name. Who so originated what did your grandfather world. do? Who was his go-to mnemonic? He was a jazz playing cat, so he might have you know he might have had other nicknames for all I know. You know, awesome, yeah, um, oh, cool. What did he play? Uh, guitar, jazz guitar, actually. Oh, yes, awesome. there we go. And you brought your guitar. Um, I have, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the people listening, you know, will hear that later. Should be good. Should be cool. Uh, So, yeah, man. So, let's start there. Uh, I guess the first question I have for you is, you know, the chicken and egg, uh, where did it start from you? Because I know you, um, through Shelter, uh, writer, actor, actor, right? Yeah, I, that's kind of a hobby, I guess. I mean, in Shelter, it's great because everybody does everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all need people to read our stuff. So I always put my hand up yeah. to, to read for people. And I love it. And yeah. It's really fun. But it's like one of those things where somebody wants me to do it. I never consider I, I'm not. There are certain things that, you know, you, as an artist, like you need to be paid to do. Like if I'm somebody wants me to edit something or compose something. You know, I have a rate, but right. as an actor, I'm just, if, if it sounds fun, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's fun. Um, so, yeah, I guess the question, just bringing it in, like, you're a multi-hyphenate, because, um, yeah, if you work as a writer um, and you act too, like, when you, when it suits you or right. when it's fun, um, and then you're also a musician. Yeah. Um, so where does where did that start for you? Well, the musician. Well, <laughs> I uh, I've been a composer for most of my life. You know, took piano lessons, and I wasn't very good at sight reading. And I think this happens for a lot of composers where um, they're afraid of like reading uh, slowly, but their hands do things on the piano. So they're like, oh, well, that sounds cool too. So I started composing that way, sort of by ear. I'm definitely like more of a a linguistic musician than like a math musician sort of figuring out like the little phrases that you can use. Um, and, uh, and then at a certain point in high school, I started writing songs like pop songs. Um, and cause I was writing like little fugues and stuff, you know, like classical style stuff. Um, that was really impressive to everybody when you're a kid, you know, writing classical quote unquote music. Um, and one day I saw a TV commercial that had, I can be your hero, baby. It was ridiculous. It was like the, this Jeep driving up the Statue of Liberty. And I just heard the song and I was like, I think I could probably put together something like that. Cause it's like, it sounds cathartic. It sounds like, it sounds like fun. I don't want to try to do that. So I wrote this little song that was kind of like that in that vein. And uh, I'd spent a lot of time in high school being like awkward and, you know, having a small group of friends, but feeling a little bit like an outsider, like most people do. And uh, once I had these pop songs that sounded like they came from a popular place, people kind of, I don't know, treated me a little differently. I don't know. Uh, And I played one in, in assembly and um got a standing ovation and everybody the rest of the day was coming up to me about this song and people started getting it they the acapella group still sings it to this day uh every year um 
So it was catchy, I guess. So, um, but then, you know, then I went to, to college and worked on this film stuff that I wanted to do and, uh, and writing and everything. And I kind of put that to the side and I was definitely composing. I was still composing for short films, going back to like the orchestral and chamber music kind of stuff. And I had a guitar, um, and like I had like two songs that I'd written for the guitar over like the intervening decade where I was like writing string quartets and working in film. Um, and then uh, all the freelance work that I was doing kind of was drying up. I moved to a new apartment uh, and I didn't want to bug my roommates. I used to, I was actually, we're in Bushwick now and this is kind of, you know, it was my stomping ground for about a year and a half and I was living in the studio space where I could just sort of bring out the guitar whenever. And yeah. I only did it, you know, once every couple of months, played a couple of songs that I had written, uh, wasn't playing for anybody else, and that was that. But moving to this new place, not having much money and not having any um, job prospects on the horizon, I just had in my notes app as one of the things that I needed to do was to buy a guitar strap so that I could like carry it around and see if uh, playing on the subway platform was a viable thing to do. To at least, my goal was to pay for the guitar strap, to get the guitar strap to pay for itself. So I went to that long hallway between 14, uh, in 14th Street between the L and the 2-3 train. Right. And it was just started playing those two songs. And I'll never forget the first kid who gave me a dollar. Uh, you know, and to him, it was like, I could have been doing this for years, right? Mm -hmm. But I was, I was like really nervous and like, will people hate this? Like, I've never even played these songs for my friends, you know? Um, but people gave me money and, and then they also like gave me a pat on the back. If they didn't have money, they would, you know, clap or they'd tell me that I was doing a good job. And it was, a really cool way because I'm a native New Yorker so like I know the city but it was kind of an interesting way to get to know the city all over again in a deeper way like to actually talk to what used to be the background and get to know people because they would stop and talk to me and we would like follow each other on Instagram and stuff and like really make connections with with people as well as make grocery money and then eventually rent money doing this on the regular and finding the right finding the right spots at the right times, you know, doing a lot of research and, and development. And exactly. Yeah. 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 And then, um, uh, and then I wanted to graduate from the, that hallway where you can play over and over the same songs. Cause people are just passing through to a platform where people might have to wait for even 20 minutes. So I started writing more songs until I had kind of an album's worth of stuff, which I'm still figuring out. I recorded some things. I need to re-record some things. Um, so that whole Spotify thing, uh, still working that out, but I, now I've done several gigs through the city, um, about seven gigs so far. I've got two coming up. Um, so where are the yeah. two coming um, up? Might as well. You know. uh, yeah. Might as well plug that, uh, bar cord just got the email on my way from the train here. Uh, 16th of September, 9 PM bar cord on Cortelio. Uh, and then the way station on Washington Avenue. Oh, I played there before. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a fun place, right? Yeah. How was that? Um, it's good. Like it's uh, I don't 
I've, I think I've played there twice. I don't know, like, if I play in Bushwick, it's pretty easy or some, like, there's, I don't know if I have that many people that live right over there. Um, so just getting people out is interesting. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't matter, like, whatever size crowd there is, people that go there um, listen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. there's some gigs where you play where it's like the people that you bring are who's going to be listening. Um, yeah. I think they're a good spot because they attract people that like to listen to music. It's a little bit of a listening um, interested room. Yeah. Like people know that there's going to be uh, regularly there's going to be performances there and that's what yeah. that place is. Oh, so cool. So yeah, it's good. Uh, 16th I might be gone for is that like a oh that one's gonna be on the 27th oh that's on the 27th of, uh, the first one's Barcord yeah yeah okay 27th what yeah. day of the week is that it's a Friday alright yeah Friday at 8 I think I'm gonna put yeah. that in my calendar when I get home I've wow. recently started keeping a calendar for the first time in wow. my life uh, <laughs> organizing <the> <laughs> some things <laughs> yeah it's great it's amazing how how easier some things are like when i use that tool yeah. that innovative new tool that you know <laughs> is it on the wall or is it in your phone or um which, it's what kind neither i have uh what's called a passion planner whoa um, what is that? and it's basically it's a long story um and i hope to have this teacher on here because it was a life-changing thing it was a life-changing year in a way um but it was in a class like and it was like about business of acting and about mindset and i kind of took it as an afterthought because i wanted um i heard great things about the coaching and the the artistic growth you could get in this class specifically it's like musical theater oriented which i used to do it's not my main thing but you know yeah. i sing and act yeah. so it's a it you know it's a logical thing to do and the first class that was available was a business of acting class called Shift. So it was mindset, and it was like the beginning of Jan. It was like January. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I wanted to kind of had a goal to be in a class at that studio. Uh, Jen Waldman's her name, and I was like, I'm sure I'll get something out of it. And it was right. like the day the first class was just like mind blowing. It was like I didn't. It was like exactly what I needed. Um, and, you know, like realizing what we do, like sometimes you get caught up in the metrics of like going from like, oh, I want, like you said, grocery money and then that's rent money and then I want to graduate from here. Kind of the metrics of yeah. like how the how we do things. Yeah. And her class and like kind of her school is really digs into the why we do things as an yeah. artist yeah well um, now i'm at the point where it's creativity money right because those other things have come in yeah you know and i've been able to sustain because you know as a freelancer you build up a reputation but then you have to build up enough of a reputation that there are enough people who can f recommend you at the right time so that you get at least two or three gigs a month yeah. Uh, or there's one where you get five gigs so that two gigs next month can float you, you know, if you're composing for a short film or you're editing a web series or 
uh, being a cameraman on a documentary or something. So we breezed over that. So yeah. you so you went to school for film. I went to school for music composition. Okay, you, did, yeah. you went to school for music composition, yeah. and then and then did film also. Well, I made my first movie when I was six years old uh, with my grandfather's Bolex film camera. Um, before you know, I mean, anybody can do it with their iPhone and everything. It was stop motion animated, and uh, so I always. Always, I wanted to make it when I was five, and my parents were like, "I don't think you understand what you're saying." I was like, "No, no, no, sure." And it's okay. Wait till you're six, and then you know, my sixth birthday happened. The clown came while my friends, you know, gave me presents. They left. I had a clown. I think it was my seventh birthday. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But but I also was begging my parents from, like, yeah, four or five. for a video camera there was like some commercial Whoa. for like a video camera i think it was like one for kids even like it was like yeah yeah they had the, ki- yeah. the fisher price ones and yeah. stuff and yeah I was like, yeah please because yeah like i got so things you... to make whoa for yeah <laughs> um, oh my god yeah and then yeah my eighth one of my birthdays my mom rented one because it was still like a thing yeah yeah, um, yeah. so for that birthday she rented one, and That's so that birthday party was like, all right, we're making this Ghostbusters Michael Jackson movie on the fly. With their friends at the birthday party. Yeah. Yes. I did, yeah, I did a <laughs> Jurassic Park sequel. Yeah. Over two consecutive sleepovers. So, like, I guess, yeah, when I turned, like, 12, we did part one, and I turned 13, and we were like, well, let's, we didn't even finish last year's thing, and it's, we did a two-parter. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I later did, uh, I did two different attempts on A Christmas Carol. Oh my god! Like the first time, I think I was Scrooge the first time, and it was like my little brother and his friends. Like I got them to do it. Um, do you still have this? Oh yeah, oh, it's somewhere man. out there. Um, oh and then god. one of those kids made something years later, like when we were all grown, um, called Christmas Confidential, which was like again based on Scrooge. Uh, yeah, but Stole like your a idea. film noir <laughs> thing. That's amazing. Whoa. So, um, so, yeah, so that's like a, a long development of a, of a project. Yeah. Well, I've been, uh, I've been in development. Yeah. I tell people I've been making movies for 25 years. It's, you know, it's like, true, like, though, man. Like, um, uh, I was talking about this the other day. Like, some people don't know that they can do things right. because they don't try right and so it doesn't matter when you do it and it doesn't matter it doesn't i mean it it doesn't matter when you do it and it doesn't matter how it turns out if you try to do something and realize that you can do something it kind of opens your mind to what is possible going forward like yeah you know and when you're a kid you don't realize what you can't do sometimes so a lot of my a lot of i spend a lot of my time trying to remember who the heck that was who told his parents that he wanted to make a movie. Yeah. And like, where where am I not doing that in my life now? Who am I not asking, you know, because uh, obviously I needed help. I need, you know, my grandpa's camera that was sitting in a closet somewhere and them to teach me how stop motion worked and all that stuff. So like, where am I now where sort of like at that point where, I think that I should be using all the information that I already have to do things. That's another thing. Like, I want to do things that I don't know how to do. So where do I start 
to learn you know when you have something in your head you have kind of some something of a finished product in your head um and figuring out how to get there with the same gumption that i had when you know i had no problems <laughs> it's just i wanted to ask you actually also uh that united nations piece yeah yeah now is that do you see that as a play or well this is yeah this is a whole other can of worms because this whole so um that's part of these three projects for this company third wing which is my attempt to sort of bring together these things that i've always loved since i was a kid theater and film so uh yeah the united nations project is um gosh well it's 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 supposed to feel like a piece of theater um but it's filmed so it's it's kind of like dogville all these things have been done before in different ways so you mix dogville uh that lars von trier movie where it was all just filmed on a sound stage uh and they literally had um the sets demarcated by lines on the ground and it said tom's house over here and people were pantomiming doors and there was a lot of sound effect stuff um i don't think we're going to go that far with miming in this right um this is going to be more dialogue driven kind of like veep style yeah like armando Iannucci's huge inspiration for this um um and so a mixture between that and the tradition of theater on television uh in the 50s uh, or theater for television actually more accurately um, like 12 Angry Men originally was an hour-long play yeah. for television. It was written directly for television. Uh, and then it became a classic movie. They were like, oh, and they recast it. New director, extended screenplay. Um, but they would test these things out. And Patty Chayefsky, who wrote Network, he, Marty, his Oscar winner for Best Picture, also started as a play directly for television. And they would, you know broadcast it live and have actors play it out and it had this sort of vitality and it was the most important things were the acting and the writing and directors would cut their teeth trying to do interesting stuff with the camera john frankenheimer directed a bunch of them when he was in his 20s and like you could see him figuring out really cool jib motions and and stuff and you could really show off but at the end of the day it was the basic fundamentals of entertainment which is the character and just all through the writing and the acting and you could tell obviously it'd been through a lot of rehearsal and so it had that memorized tight muscular acting feeling that you don't get from like a tv show where Mm -hmm. somebody's kind of mumbling and they're looking they're at a crime scene and they're going like well it wasn't a good day for this guy you know and they just do a bunch of takes and they edit them together it was all like of a piece so what I'm trying to attempt with this UN project is a feeling of high energy, uh, but not not uh, not having that feeling of improv that you get with Veep. You know, um, having everything very specific because the plots it's just too labyrinth what happens in that place uh, to try to attempt that. And I don't want to just do. I want to sort of bring these other things together. Um, so the dialogue would be very specific and very well rehearsed and very well timed out. Um, so it's basically those two things, but in shorter form. So half hour episodes, 
so that it's designed more for how we watch things now, which is a streaming bingeable format, um, and then connect that to a live play that takes the same characters and finds a kind of a different angle on the story uh, that might be 90 minutes to a uh, two hour long evening of theater that people can come see uh, in New York um, for being subscribers to the platform that they can watch the show on. So that's the whole, that's the whole design of that. So you would, so it'd be filmed and would you film it in front of a live audience? I'm not sure yet. So we're, or yeah. maybe in the, re- or maybe the rehearsals. Yeah. Yeah. Is that good? I like, you know what I mean? Maybe just, you know, spitballing here. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Do the, uh, like kind of a play run and then, well, or the, some combination. When I was writing out the principles of how this whole third wing thing is supposed to work, um, some of the concerns that I came across that I had were. Um, how do I deal with the fact that you're sort of vacuuming that audience energy out of what you're doing um, and sort of thinking about the history of the laugh track and when does it work and when does it not work? I find that it works more in British TV because, you know, they have sitcoms, but they the writing is not joke a minute. It's a little bit more sort of they let the characters kind of walk around and talk. Yeah. So the audience reaction, you can hear coughs, you can hear it doesn't have that extra like button that the guy is pushing up in the booth to like add extra laughs. So you can hear the echoes and the sort of space between the lines as actors really like sink into a moment. Um, another huge influence on the UN project in particular is this show called Yes Minister from the 80s with uh, Nigel Hawthorne um, as a civil servant in Parliament. And these were half-hour episodes, but about six scenes each. So they were nice, long scenes. So it felt like a play, like one or two locations in each set. And when you listen to the audience reaction, it's full of actual surprise and actual kind of... You can hear a pin drop when it's important and they're really listening and trying to understand what this guy is saying. Uh, and it's all about political machinations also. So that was a big inspiration. Um, so that it's also, because I want it, I don't want it to be like highfalutin and like, oh my God, this is so artsy and, um, I, you know, only for people who really get what I'm trying to do. I want it to be as comfortable to watch as a sitcom. So that's a, that is a, something that I'm thinking about and I need to test. The first project that we're doing is called uh, The Genius Project. Um, about genius writers throughout history um, dealing with the fact that the people around them, well, they're all women, and so they're dealing with sexism, and they're also dealing with, uh, more comedically, the fact that they're surrounded by who they think are idiots, right? So uh, the it would be great. So what I want to do is have an audience come in, film a scene, their 10-minute scenes with an audience, and then maybe without the audience and sort of test. I'm still kind of in testing phase of these kinds of questions to figure out what the answers are. So I get to something that's more ambitious, <laughs> like the you UN. Have a, I'll have testing. a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And then you could probably mic 
the audience to so that you can bring it up like dial it up or down yes you know yes yeah we did a test um back in october i think um my friend was doing a one-man show and and i filmed it with multiple cameras we had a sound guy who did mic the audience i set up one of those tiny vr cameras that you can get for a couple hundred bucks um right in the middle of the audience because i was also testing like is this a cool thing to have a VR experience? And what does that feel like, quote unquote, sitting in an audience? And I went home with, you know, my cheap headset and to see if that was interesting. And it's not. <laughs> so that's not going to be part of what we're doing. But mm. it was good. You know, you have to test these things out. So I might do a laugh track and be like, oh, well, no, actually, that's that's awful. <laughs> I sort of feel like the VR thing with theater at some point might be more uh like i have no idea so i'm just talking yeah yes but um i think about it sometimes like as a performer like giving the pov of like a performer yeah that would be more interesting yeah like when when they get small enough to where they're just like the size of one of those tiny mics or something yeah um so that 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 might be something down the line right um yeah. To have a 360. Yeah, because these cameras are so small. Um, yeah, the cameras themselves are, are really small. And you could just stick it on somebody's hat. What I'm waiting for... So this is kind of like back when YouTube was becoming more and more of a thing, slowly but surely. And as a filmmaker, I was like, I don't want to make something that's going to be pixelated in 360 or 400 pixels or whatever. But I some somewhere I knew that in a few years they would make it HD and they would do 16 by nine. And I was like, when they do that, then I'll make content for it. And I kind of feel the same way with VR where, you know, you, you put the headset on and it's cool in a lot of ways, but the resolution, you can still see all the squares and uh, it's heavy. I'm waiting for a VR headset to be basically like swimming goggles, you know? And yeah. you just like slap it on your head so it doesn't look like a goofy experience um, to everybody looking at you right. <laughs> doing VR. Uh, it shouldn't look like a like a party um, party trick sort of It is novelty. a trip though, man. Like I tried yeah. it for the first time last year and I was just like, this is crazy. What kind of content was it? Uh, well, I did because I heard about it in a podcast. Um, I heard it on like Joe Rogan's podcast and it was like, so they have like the consumer ones. And then one of the guys, I think it was Eddie Bravo, who's like a jujitsu guy. Maybe. No, was, I don't know. I don't remember who it was, but they mentioned that in New York at Madame Tussauds, there's a special Ghostbusters VR experience where the whole like you walk through this whole thing and the whole thing's mapped out. Yeah. So like you go into this room, you see a couch over there, you go over and you like touch, like there's an actual couch there. Oh, wow. so like everything was like lined up. Like you end up on a roof at one point you feel like the breeze, there's a railing. Um, Whoa. Yeah. So the, but the graphics look like a cartoon, but you, so it's not like that. It looks real, but you feel like you're really in that world. Yeah, you feel like you're actually in a cartoon world. Yeah. Right. Um, so. That's a great a way to do it. Yeah, that's like, 
a way to avoid uncanny valley you know? yeah yeah it's like let's go whole hog with this aesthetic so that everything and it was, else is believable. and it was like a realistic card so it wasn't like you know what i mean it was it was weird yeah it was, was it like into the spider verse style uh yeah like, like so it yeah it looked real like it looked like a you know fantastic world but yeah um so i did that and then um some friends i know they have some kind of ad agency and like in midtown also and like they had a uh, i'm forgetting the name of it like the it's like the top of the line consumer one they just had one of them in their office yeah which is also mapped to the room so you can see like where you can like you can like walk around and you see so it you follows you the heads that follow you can just walk without you, having to have like a controller saying yeah. go forward go backwards yeah, yeah that's crazy um and again like it was it's not that it but some of the things look more real than others and mm-hmm. it's yeah it's crazy yeah well there's yeah i mean seeing watching like a keynote speech on the future of this stuff and seeing what cameras can do can pick up can record basically a room and make a computer model of that room that looks photorealistic but now you can completely manipulate it and place the camera in anywhere or or like how they made the lion king for example like they just i haven't seen the new one yet I haven't seen it, but I've seen, you know, the behind the scenes stuff. Because right. I'm not interested in sitting through that, but like hearing how they made that, like uh, they made, you know, the jungle and then they had tech scouts and they would sort of point and like the cinematographer would say, yeah, we're going to put the camera right here next to this rock. But it would be cool if we could actually move that rock over there and then some technician would move the rock for him, you know. So they were kind of making a movie in a virtual space. I guess yeah. kind of like Avatar, but they keep like improving the um, the technology, the technology, so that when you're actually, so you don't have to wait to render it out for the final thing. It it actually is starting to look real enough for the filmmakers themselves while they're making it. I watched uh, on the plane back last night. I didn't finish it. Um, I will at some point, but it's like it's not going anywhere. But the did you watch Game of Thrones? No. Um. So you know they just finished this season, and then they did like a two-hour, like kind of documentary on the final season. Yeah. And one of the cool parts I saw was they had some of the like fight choreographers and like the fight fight and stunt team choreographing something, and you're watching them go through it. But then on the playback. They had like simple animation, like in like on their playback, like so like arrows to the head and stuff like that. Oh yeah, it was yeah. Kind of it was like cartoon rendered, but it was like, yeah, that's where the technology is, like where it's easy enough to do. Like they wouldn't have bothered doing that little extra step like ten years ago for like for working out the choreography. Right. But right. now it's like, yeah. They can do that pretty... Render it as quickly as possible. Get the highest... Yeah, I remember I was... I used to computer animate back in the 90s, you know, when Toy Story was coming. I did a Calvin and Hobbes. I did like a three, four-minute Calvin and Hobbes 3D animated movie. And it was, you know, all wireframe stuff. And you build everything out of, you know, spheres and boxes and stuff. 
and uh, and then you'd wait. I remember I got a gigabyte for Christmas <laughs> so that I could render like a full second's worth of animation. Yeah. Um, and that was a huge deal in 1996. Uh, yeah, and now here we are, and it's just like everything is just rendered out. So now here we are. Um, you have you do a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, is there something you focus on more? And I I know I guess Third Wing is kind of the thing that's yeah. bringing them together. But uh, kind of what's the vision behind that? Like, yeah. what do you see and want and dream about like going forward? I've been thinking about it for a long time. Um, partly because you know you have an idea in your head and it seems like kind of clear and then you realize the more you think about it the real the more you realize how unclear it is in a lot of ways so trying to structure something around that initial spark of inspiration so that it's so that when you present it to the world it's just as elegant as that spark right so then it can take a decade to think about okay well first this is what i want it to look like feel like this is these are the aesthetic principles for lack of a better word these are the kinds of things i want to make this is how i want to present it um so because i've been writing plays and making movies since i was a kid and i love them both um and the more time passes these things seem to come together i don't know uh i'm trying to do something new obviously with the way things have been done in the past kind of um but update them um so um i was i was writing a play in like 2009 so like 10 years ago and i was looking online for resources to figure out how do you do a better job you know i was like watching august wilson interviews edward albee interviews and sort of seeing what i you know made sense to me and uh just just as inspiration and it's all online youtube is an amazing resource and then i saw i saw this great side by side of uh you, you might have seen this that's um fences um Oh, uh, uh, Denzel yeah. and yeah. Uh, James Earl Jones. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's just the most fascinating thing because the performances are completely different. I have a preference to, to which one, but it doesn't mean that the other one is bad. It's just one of them. Speaking of laugh tracks, right? So one of them is playing to... One of them is playing to the audience in a great way. And one of them is playing directly to his son. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, I, uh, I told you, like, I think I told you what I've been up to a little bit this yeah, summer, right? Yeah, and you had that great monologue from Jitney. That yeah, you and the, so the Black Arts Institute that I, I just did, um, originally they wanted it to be an August Wilson in, intensive. Wow. But because of the rights with like the movies coming out on the Broadway, it's like more complicated to put that. Yeah to call something on that unless it's produced by those production entities. Yeah. Um, but still it was Ruben Santiago Hudson. Who's he's writing a screenplay for, uh, my Rainey's black bottom. Oh, wow. And he directed the, um, Tony award 
winning Jitney a couple of years ago, and he's doing it like they're going on tour right now. Wow, cool. And it was a bunch of those August Wilson uh, people, yeah. like Stephen McKinley Henderson, Michelle Shea, uh, Harry Lennox. Um, anyway, so got so I'm very much August Wilson on my mind. Yeah, uh, I have a preference on those two performances. Yeah, two. Yeah, um, and everybody. I mean, most people do. Um, for me, James Earl Jones. Yeah. Okay. Fine. James Earl Jones. <laughs> right. And it's not. And, and Denzel Washington is one of my favorite. He he is might he, be one of my favorite actors really of all time. Actor, He's in my yeah. top ten, maybe top three even. Yeah. Um, but I think, and now this is interesting. So this is so this is one of the things that inspired me because I was like, I love this so much. I love the performances, but I love. Whoever had the idea to do this side-by-side thing, you learn so much without somebody sitting down and telling you anything. Uh, Because talking to you about it now and how we both prefer James Earl Jones, it's like we weren't in the audience for Denzel Washington's performance. And he wasn't playing to us. He was playing to people that were in that room. Yes. A YouTube, a YouTube viewer, we're, out, we're outsiders to that. Yeah. And watching James Earl Jones' performance, and also the camera angle, which is lower and sort of just puts these two people in a box, which, you know, and you get the claustrophobia a little bit of the uh, actual moment. Um, so do we prefer it for what it was in the moment, or do we prefer it because of the way it's being delivered to us uh, over YouTube, uh, over this sort of kind of half-cinematic um, conduit. So um, it's, that's a big question and something that I'm trying to figure out as I go forward to create something as, you know, half as compelling as what I see with the James Earl Jones performance. Um, so I was like, first of all, I want to make things like that on purpose, you know, right? The, the, you know, and the BBC was really great at filming plays, uh, adapting Harold Pinter plays for television um, that didn't have an audience and didn't have a laugh track. And there was something kind of amazing about that in and of itself that, that it would vacuum out that aspect of theater. So it's like, what is theater without an audience? What is theater when it's just you and YouTube and you're all by yourself and it's this really eerie you know, Harold Pinter play where things kind of make sense, but not completely. Um, and uh, how do I, you know, can I write something on purpose? So the play that I was writing at the time and looking for resources, I started imagining what if it starts out in a real location, it's dinner time, uh, and the sun is setting. And as soon as the sun sets, slowly but surely the play as we're watching it on you know on a screen um becomes more and more representational the set pieces of the set start to disappear but you don't really notice it the lighting changes so you're focused more on the actors while things are disappearing behind you and so the the story basically is of somebody uh you know as a kid going through traumatic experiences that um, are kind of planting the seeds of borderline personality disorder, those kinds of things. And, you know, that's what causes borderline personality disorder is nobody knows exactly for sure yet, but um, it can be 
episodic traumatic experiences mm-hmm. that at least unlock it, you know, um, and feeling like you're not feeling like you don't exist and all these, th- all these aspects to it that I read, um, that could be shown through the disappearing of your world. You think you're in a real space and then by the end of it, it's just you and your father not agreeing on reality and, it, and, and you're in a black void having this discussion where you can't agree on anything until like maybe the very last moment. Um, so sort of taking the aesthetic and paring it down over two hours, paring it down, paring it down. And so the idea of, of doing that, taking all these things that kind of happened by accident, Harold Pinter would write a play and they would film it and they would come up with this strange third aesthetic. It's not a movie or a play, but it's something very specific in between. And also uh, Carol Churchill's play Top Girls. They did a great uh version of that in 1990 with Leslie Manville and that was it was so eerie um and and compelling uh that that was a, that that was another one that I was like I would love to make something like that on purpose and it's all because of YouTube and the internet and finding these things out and so I'm like this is this also ties into the way that we consume you know stories and everything uh i watch youtube and netflix and everything um and it's i can't really afford to go see theater as much as i'd like to um but i feel like i'm getting something of the theatrical experience and the creation of character and the exploration of theme and all that kind of thing that you get out of well trying to figure out what makes something theatrical without necessarily having to be in a room with strangers uh, that's a big question that I'm trying to answer as I make third wing things, but yeah. also having third wing is definitely about making it easier and more affordable to see things live. So making a streaming service, it's basically a theater company where membership, you get your membership by just subscribing to a streaming service that has these kinds of things on it. And then, like I said, with the UN project, um, if you stay subscribed for four months, basically, so that, you know, um, then you are a member and you can come see a show for no additional costs. uh, How did you come up with the name Third Wing? Third Wing, um, I... I... uh, Well, there's two wings of a stage, right? So, you know, for cast and crew. Um... And this, I, since it's supposed to be about connecting the audience to the work that we're doing um, and also including behind the scenes. So the, the element of James Earl Jones versus Denzel Washington um, and seeing how it works and why something works and why something doesn't um, and then using the TV and the devices that you're watching these things on as, as a way to basically passively purchase a ticket to go see something live. I'm trying to make the, the, the Z, the Z access, right? So, um, so the audience is sitting in the third wing of, you know, this new way of defining a piece of theater, I guess. It's hard to not be <laughs> highfalutin when talking about the concept behind it, but, you know, 
uh, that's what it's supposed to mean. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think every, I think our generation has to think about new ways to innovate because like the current subscribers and like the main patrons who are paying for like the traditional theaters are older yeah and they're going to be shuffling off this mortal coil uh, in the coming years um and so we have to i mean theater's not going to go anywhere but we do have to as theater artists um find new ways to engage and bring in new audience members and I think about that a lot too. Like there's one thing that I'm working on and I don't like first, like the question of, Oh, is this a play or, or an on-camera thing? And I'm like, well, why can't you do both? Exactly. Yeah. A holistic. It's like going, the way I think about it sometimes is you go into a bodega, it's a little late. Maybe you've had something to drink and you want that perfect snack. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you know, and in your mind you go in there and you think you're going to just get a bag of the snack that I need. But no, it's all these, it's like, I get a chocolate bar or a bag of chips or whatever, you know. Um, so it's kind of like that. It's like, what is it? And I'm trying to make that perfect chocolate bag of chips to be like, this is a whole holistic thing. This is a story that I wanted to tell. And this is the perfect way to tell it. And it also preserves, it's almost like a, for a playwright, I would want it to feel like a full-service rendition of... Is this slipping? Yeah, I think I was about Sorry. to adjust it. Sorry. Um, I, uh, um, yeah, so it's like a full-service rendition of their idea um, mm-hmm. that lasts. It's not as ephemeral as just having a few weeks run on an off-Broadway theater, um, but it's not just recording what they came up with. It's really a holistic, like, well, how do we make this work? in this in this other way um in this full way because as you say you know and there's nothing wrong with your demographic being older you know there's obviously something to be improved with the way theater is working business i wanted to tell you also uh the stuff that i've seen you write so far uh my hat's off to you as far as like representation um i think you've done a good job of writing about universal things but making sure that people are represented who oftentimes are not well thank you i uh i it's uh it's an it's it's an accident i guess i uh i've been writing my kickstarter thing um and i list all the the three the three main projects and then at a certain point i realized all the main characters are women first of all and and all the tertiary characters are women. And, and I didn't mean to do that, you know. Uh, Rachel Carey is an amazing writer, uh, the best writer that I know. Uh, and so I'd asked her, what do you have on your hard drive that's short form that I can do something, you know. So she wrote something, and it's, you know, the Genius Project. It's about women. I, sorry for the term women writers. They're writers. They happen to be women. Um, and then the other project, Disney Girls, about the ink and paint department. It yeah. was all women in the in the in the nineteen thirties trying to finish Snow White. Um, and then the UN project, they have the two main characters happen to be women. So I, I have this little thing in my Kickstarter. It's like an anti caveat. It's like, look, I didn't mean to do this, but 
if you think it's cool, <laughs> you know, they're just, it's just a more interesting, um, just more interesting subject to me, I guess. So is that, is, you know, um, well, yeah, I, mean, I don't know why. <laughs> I think, but I, I think it makes, that's one of the things like with just what makes drama compelling is like conflict and stuff like that. So it would make sense that like when you see certain theater seasons do the same play over and over again, attracting the same audience, not bringing in a new audience. It's like, because it's the same story over and over again. And some of these other things, which like, that's, I think something that is really cool about Netflix and YouTube and all those things is there's, it's opened the door for a lot more stories. Um, And it's also just as far as like for writers out there, like writer's block, it's like, write about something new. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, but like if you, with certain people that are underrepresented in some way or another, a lot of these people are going through some things. So when people are going through some things, that's great opportunity for storytelling and exploration, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not, this is the thing. It's not, um, it shouldn't be a political thing. It should just be. So whenever somebody comes in with something that, you know, the PC brigade can easily jump on and be like, Oh, this is awful. And this, I try to be like the white guy in the room who can talk to somebody and be like, Hey man, I get it. I don't, the PC, yeah, it's horrible, but look, it's boring, okay? Right. It's just fucking boring to have a woman tied to a chair going like, do you know why you're here? I don't know why I'm here. Like, stop making those short films where it's like a light bulb hanging from the ceiling. Stop doing certain things because it's boring. And it's not good, you know, it's not good for you as a storyteller to tell the same story. So it's not even, so like that's how I accidentally stumble upon things. And and uh, you know, and the UN uh, project was was a way for me to um, do representation of different cultures, uh, and I got to be careful, you know, and and do my research and and all that stuff. But um, but that's why it's interesting to me the, the the language barriers and the different perspectives that you get. And so, and I love talking to people who work there who have very ingrained feelings about different cultures. So it's like, and they, they're like, somebody from South, of course, the guard who wouldn't let me go through the back entrance was from South Sudan. They're always like that. And I'm like, that is hilarious. You know, that's, that's great. So I can have a a French character who thinks that, you know, um, so uh, I don't know how true that is, but that's not doesn't matter. Um, so. So, yeah, it's just about what's what's interesting and. Um, the. The requirements I'm starting with, at least when I'm looking for new material for Third Wing um, to try to build up, you know, what's next, what's after this um, scripts have to be about worlds uh, that we don't get to see. Um, they have to be about worlds that you would be interested in seeing it without necessarily hearing what the story is. So for example, no coming of age dramas about, you know, one guy, you know, uh, nothing like that. Um, 
nothing about a family falling apart just because they're a family falling apart. It has to take, so I have UN, I have, you know, the, the Walt Disney Studio in the 30s, and then we have a complete historical, you know, smorgasbord with the female genius project. Um, so it has to be either historically a different world or culturally a different world or temporally a different world uh, for me to want to um, produce it for Third Wing. So because because as far as the business model and all that stuff, uh, for it to really work, I think we need to develop a recognizable aesthetic or something so the audience knows what they're in for. Um, I don't want it to feel too experimental. There's enough about it that's experimental with how we're trying to bring different media together. So I want at least for certain, I have to figure out what needs to be consistent and recognizable so people will trust, oh, this will be good. Or if it's not good, it'll be at least interesting in this particular way. Uh, and sort of trying, you know, because like Pixar, for example, it's what I think about a lot. Uh, and what I think a lot of people think about. Um, they were the first to do a feature length computer animated movie. Um, but they were successful because the story was great. And then mm. they had kind of, I'm sure they have some kind of book full of like, don't do this, but do, do that. Try to do this. Try to make it about individualism. Try to make it, you know, and they have certain things, certain consistencies that are beyond just making it on a computer that make it more successful. So I'm trying to find what's, what is our, that, <laughs> um, if, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, what, like, uh, what, what's your goal time-wise? Um, also you mentioned a Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what's kind of the time? I was going to launch the Kickstarter a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, but then, um, I suddenly saw that Mercury was going into retrograde. So I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in that much of a rush. Uh, I'm trying to give myself with Third Wing is time. Yeah. Um, cause you know, the whole fast, cheap and easy, you got to pick two. Right. Uh, so, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what that means, which ones I'm picking, but, um, oh, right. I'm not picking fast. Uh, so in September of last year, so almost a year ago is when I really started to write out the business plan and the culture deck for lack of a better word. Uh, and, um, to try to take all these things that have been running around in my head for 10 years and say like, what is it? that I want to do. And speaking of calendars, you know, the most helpful thing. So I wrote out a calendar. Where do I want to be with this by yeah. June? Where do I? And 2020 is a great opportunity to launch something in, in a, in, into a new decade. So my tagline right now is bringing drama into the twenties because there's a kind of retro element right. to it. Absolutely. And it's like, oh, it's the future and it's the past. So bringing drama into the twenties, and it's it's like uh, eerily parallels, unfortunately, like time wise, like time wise in a way, like historically, there are some eerie parallels. You mean with what? How important twenty twenty is? Uh, yeah, but also like the world. Like I can, like I think it's going to be a great artistic time, but it's also like we got some choices to make. Um, yeah, the 2020 election, but like humanity, I think has the world. a big, like, and 
Yeah, not to get too dark. Got to keep, but that's why we do art. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. The UN project is all about uh, yeah. the great battle between optimism and pessimism. Yes, and how how different are they really? Because the strictest pessimist, deep down, is disappointed, and who is disappointed? It's the optimist inside them. Right. So I, I think that ultimately what I'm trying to do is, is you know, I have one character who's definitely a classical pessimist and one is a classical optimist. And over the course of the show, you see how they're actually the opposite to each other. And their ideologies weave in and out of this and how much of pessimism is really just protecting yourself and how much of optimism is just denying certain realities. Uh, they both have their pitfalls and everything, um, but they're the same. It's it's like that that great saying. I don't know who said it. Uh, your friends aren't the ones with the same answers, but the ones with the same questions. So it's the same. It's the different sides of the same mm -hmm. coin of like caring about the world, optimism and pessimism. Um, and uh, so, and the UN is definitely a place where being an optimist or a pessimist is thrown into relief all the time. Um, Do you so consider yeah. yourself one or the other? Skeptimist. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think yeah. they have in common is, but I, I think being a skeptic, like, I feel like, I feel like a skeptic is, op this is my opinion, yeah. is an optimist. Exactly. Um, whereas yeah. a cynic yeah is a pessimist like exactly. but both are are questioning so they yes yeah. yeah, so both have the same questions yeah because so, it's not that and that's what i think people get wrong about like optimists it's like not that i'm living in la la land no i see how fucked up the world is and on the one hand i'm not hopeful because like like but on the other hand it's like well i can just kill myself then like, you know what i mean like if i <laughs> yeah, want to yeah. lean into that um right. there's still a even if it's a slim shot there's still a shot like while we're here yeah we we can still we have the opportunity like both the future's yeah. not fixed you know right the moment that and then that's the live theater film thing it's like film captures a moment for eternity and way like that's developed it's filmed a certain way but like you're saying we weren't in the room and i wanted to see um i really wanted to see denzel on broadway do that yeah. but uh but yeah the thing about doing theater is no matter what no matter if it is filmed how it's filmed that moment is for the people that are in the room there's a magic that you can't explain you know yeah yeah it's it's we have all these different ways i've been thinking about how you're supposed to feel at the end of a movie how you're supposed to feel at the end of a play how you're supposed to feel at the end of a tv show and there are all these kind of different things like when i see a play that works there's a pit in my stomach like when the lights go out there's like a deep grounding sort of like feeling like right in the center of, of my body and um and it's amazing. And when I walk out of a movie that works, um, often I feel light, you know, and kind of like foot tappy or something, you know, like that was great. Um, or even if it's even if it's not a happy ending, 
there's still kind of a lightness or a, a dizziness, I guess, a little bit of like, whoa, that was amazing. And at the end of a, a, a TV binge, it's usually about like a character going through some kind of thing. Um, or, or you get like immersed in this world. Um, and I feel like my jaw is on the floor a lot. Like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And it's sort of up in my head, you know, like, oh, I can't believe, like, I can't wait for the next season, you know? Yeah. So are these diff different physical experiences that, that these different forms, when successful, give you. So if you have a story uh, and you have an opportunity to do at least two of those things well with this same character slash theme thing, then I think it would be really awesome, you know, to watch, to binge a show about, you know, the ink and paint department at the Disney studio in the 30s and then and kind of have this, oh my God, that's crazy and I never knew that and um, what's going to happen next sort of thing and then go and see a play and then have the end sort of make you feel like, oh, whoa, uh, in that physical way. However, that's done. I, I finished the first draft of the of the theater piece um, like two weeks ago. So I still have to have a reading of it to figure out if I'm even getting close to that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, so that's another thing that I think we can get out of something like Third Wing. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to to see and uh, support any way I can um, you, man. what you're doing, man. I Thank believe you. in it. And yeah, I, I'm I think proud to job, work with you yeah. um, and shelter and all that. Um, and yeah, just yeah. thanks for coming here. Thanks uh, for having me. What's the best place for people to be informed and follow you online? to know uh, where they can follow you in real life and right. keep up with, with what's going on. Uh, well, third wing, you know, it's all on the Facebook stuff, I guess. You type third wing in. Um, and if, do you spell it, it out? Is it third or is it the number three? Uh, it's third wing and it's one word. Uh, and so, so three RD or T H E. Oh, T H. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, thirdwing.info is where you can see kind of how I lay out I it's that's the explanation page and thirdwing.watch is where the streaming platform is being built and if you type it in you can see it says start browsing and it's got the posters for the different shows but if you click it it's just like the theme song right now uh, but I'm just sort of you know, getting the minimum viable product, as they say, uh, uh, to figure out, you know, all the placeholders so that I'm just not doing everything at once. Like I'm, like I said, I'm giving myself time. So like, okay, this is what the platform looks like. Now all I got to do is plug content in there, which that's the, that's the hard part. But yeah. So third wing info, third wing dot info, if you want to find out about it, um, I would go there because there's plenty of buttons on the site to say, hey, check out our Facebook page. Um, but every time I explain it, I just go off on a billion different tangents. But apparently I've heard from people who read, you know, the copy that I've written out to try to explain what it really is and how it works. 
they're like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> so um, if you're confused after listening to this, I don't blame you. And uh, if you don't want to be confused anymore and it interests you enough to check it out, thirdwing.info. And, uh, and then the music stuff, basically, um, Cam Darwin on Instagram. And then that's how, you know, I promote all the, all the musical things. And uh, will you also promote Third Wing through Cam Darwin? Like through your music too? Once or twice. I've, I did one post or maybe two posts over the last year. I was like, hey guys, follow Third Wing. And I sort of did a screenshot of like what the Third Wing Instagram page looks like. And I got some follows out of that. Yeah. But uh, right now I'm keeping them right. separate. I don't want to be precious. I don't want to be like Billy Bob Thornton when like he goes in for an interview and the guy says, so, so Billy Bob Thornton, you, you know, known for being a screenwriter and an actor. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, my, my last name is not Darwin, but it's my middle name. So it's like close enough where I don't feel like I'm, you know bullshit in anybody yeah but it's a stage name but it's a real stage name so right like but i don't you know i'm not I'm not trying too hard to separate things out but i also don't want to have like because there are a lot of us are multi-hyphenates these days partly because technology makes it easier to try a lot of different things and uh and so, it's yeah. good to do i think like i think yeah. it's uh you give yourself a lot more agency if yeah. you do that, like not everybody's going to be a writer act, like, you know, not everybody's going to be the same. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody's going to be the same multi, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like nobody's going to be the same actor or the same singer, right. same songwriter. Right. right. Um, but yeah, if you can wear different hats. Yeah. That's the great Ruben Santiago Hudson said, like you can really do some things man in this world yeah because you have agency yeah to you have options you have agency yeah and you create your own like platform yeah i and, try to wear the hats when i'm like quote unquote hiring myself to do something yeah. but yep. as a freelancer my website has different pages that it makes it look like that's the only thing that i do right because i feel like to get hired to do something people want to trust that like that you, you that's what you're exactly. yeah yeah, yeah. They don't want to hear that you're a DJ on the weekends. And I'm, and yeah, yeah, I'm learning that, figuring that out. Um, that's a learning yeah. process. For the purposes of this, yeah. I'll probably call you Cam Darwin. Cool. Um, that makes sense. And then people that listen, there'll be links in the show notes to both projects, though. Cool, cool. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about right now? Uh, no, that's. I think that 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 covers it. <laughs> I could, yeah. There's, yeah, so many, I have no idea how, if anything was understandable whatsoever. No, but it, it was, that was, it was great. It's good, really great talking to you. And the work that you do at Shelter is also amazing. Like I, seeing just that, that, that monologue that you did was incredible. And I hope that we can work on something. Yeah, man. Together. I'd love to. Third Wing related would be really great. I'd love and, to. And uh, likewise, um, this platform is to... I, like that can go down that whole tangent, but right. it's also something I'm developing and also want to produce things later. And, and also specifically one of the first things, um, is a variety show. Oh, cool. Um, and playing with that idea. So some of it traditional stage just, yeah. And next this person, but also playing with, 
doing producing online like things also online yeah content. yeah um, yeah so doing variety shows like you know and this is part of it so it's right. also something that is building out um next stop the bell house <laughs> you know it's yeah. just building out uh, that's awesome. you're on season two now right yeah that's awesome and that that wasn't, I wasn't going to do season, but well, yeah, that was something with talking with the Bushwick star, like, oh, that's because I was like, why in this day and age would you do seasons? And it's like, same reason, same reason why I'm using a calendar now. It's like, so yes. that you can be like, okay, what did I do this past year? Yeah. What am I going to, what do I want to do now? Yeah. Can I plug the app that I use for no? Nobody's paying me, but absolutely. Moleskine has a great app called Actions, and so if you're doing, if you're a multi-hyphenate, this is great for you because it can take. You can have to-do lists for all the different kinds of things that you do, and then so I can go. Okay, I haven't done anything for Juta, which is the film I made for a while. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Oh, right screenplay agreement get uh footage to this person um follow up about a podcast thing you know so all these different colors you see so this is a disney project all these things this is a un project uh that's like home life this is the genius project and then then i have the freelance what do i have to do for other people here and these are all and then third wing in general the overview this is what i have to do somebody said sent me a spreadsheet today about plugging numbers in for, you know, possible customer projections and things like that. So that's, you know, um, but they're all completely different things. And then sometimes I schedule these and sometimes it's just that natural kind of the time has come to do this task. And uh, yeah, and it's just helped me stay sane and uh, forward thinking and always being able to get the next thing done and the next thing done. I'm only about a month or two behind the schedule that I wrote out a year ago so i feel good about that yeah but, uh, yeah onwards <laughs> yeah yeah um do you have any final thoughts or inspirations you want to leave people with check out top girls uh bbc on youtube uh it's really cool and if you like it at all and that's kind of like what I'm going for. Nice. <laughs> In third way. Uh, you want to play some music? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote this in college, and this is so. This was one of the two songs that I played when I first started busking in the train, because it was one of the only two songs that I had. And uh, yeah, so. And it uses the same chords as the other one but the capo is down
that things can change Something tells me nothing's gonna be The way it could happen You're simply out of range Your message is decoded now And not enough to set things straight now I know that things can change Something tells me nothing's gonna be the way it could happen. I think it's sad and strange. Fate seem locked and loaded, but I guess I simply fired too late. You breathe you into the way you talk to strangers. That's how you reeled me Once free of heartsick dangers I know that things can change Something tells me nothing's gonna be The way it could happen You're simply out of range Your message is decoded now And not enough you said That things can change Something tells me Nothing's gonna be The way it could happen I think it's sad and strange Fate seemed locked and loaded But I guess I simply fired too late So that was my conversation with Cameron Darwin Bosser. Check out the links to follow him in the show notes and definitely check out Third Wing, the links to that. Support the Kickstarter and become a member. Become an early founding member of Third Wing. New way to create and interact with and interface with theater. Thank you for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. Have a good one. Take care. Peace.